Much of what we learn about science, nature, and the environment happens outside of school and beyond the walls of museums, zoos, and nature centers. I have worked as an independent environmental professional for many years and know there are others like me who interact with the public in communities worldwide. On the Talatera podcast, we discover who these professionals are, what they do, and how they create change. Why do I focus on independent professionals? I focus on them because they move freely through communities. They move freely between schools, organizations, businesses, programs, and other informal learning environments. They are positioned to meet the public where they are, and this is powerful. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Tanya Marion. Hello and welcome. Today, we get to learn from Gloria DeSanker, geospatial storyteller, founder, and principal consultant at MapNerd Consulting. Gloria is a GIS analyst, and this means that she uses data and maps to tell the story of a place and the people who live there. Gloria is committed to amplifying underrepresented voices in the GIS field, and this was a central theme of our conversation. She shared her personal story as a black woman in forestry and environmental science and spoke about the importance of diverse representation in these fields. Gloria is also a Civics and Environmental Education Change Fellow. She's a member of the 2023 cohort of educators and community leaders who are participating in a fellowship program hosted by the North American Association for Environmental Education. In this program, she is developing a GIS curriculum specifically for and by Black people and the Black African diaspora. Her objective is to provide the training that will lead to a more accurate representation of Black people and communities and more informed conversations about the impact of climate change. If you have a passion for place-based storytelling and the interpretive power of maps, you are in the right place. Let's join the conversation. Hi, Gloria. Welcome, and thank you for stopping by today. Thank you, Tanya, so much for having me here today. I'm really excited to be a part of your podcast. I am so looking forward to this because I have a thing for maps, and I get to sit down and chat about what you do. And so I'm really looking forward to this. I will start with asking you, to introduce yourself to listeners. Uh, my name is Gloria DeSanker, pronouns she, her, hers, and I work as a consultant, as a geospatial storyteller, and I connect people to data and maps. And you started Map Nerd Consulting. Uh, what motivated you to start your own consultant, uh, consultancy? Yeah, so I started consulting during the COVID-19 pandemic. I had been laid off and, you know, I needed a way to survive. And I originally never really saw the consulting path as an option for myself. Um, and I feel like the spaces that uh, I had been in before really didn't see that as a path either. So really entering the consulting realm felt really foreign um, and scary at times. And, you know, it still does. But after having consulted for about a year, I realized that 
it was a really great opportunity and I feel like opened up a lot of new paths for myself. And it really gave me the opportunity to do GIS work and work with maps and people in the way that made sense for myself and the impact that I wanted to have on the world. So I eventually founded Mapford Consulting um, and have been doing just that since then, working with people and data and uh, communications and really just helping people uh, add meaning to the data that they use in a way that's impactful to them. Who is MapNerd Consulting for? And who reaches out to you for your help? That's a really good question. And I feel like who MapNerd Consulting is kind of depends on the spaces I'm in or who I'm talking to. But I think that maps and GIS are really interdisciplinary. I generally consider myself a geospatial storyteller, you know, someone with a strong passion for GIS data and maps. Um, And I really want to, you know, bring that passion for maps and data to people who both have that background and don't have that background. So I've worked a lot with environmental nonprofits. Um, I've done environmental education. I've worked for foundations, land trusts, other small businesses, individuals, um, MapNerd Consulting is really for anyone who is interested in maps and how they can use this visual storytelling component to really strengthen their story. Through your map building and storytelling agency, you bring to the surface a lot of untold stories. So what stories have you been able to tell so far? I think one of the most important stories I've been able to tell so far is my own. Um, I think through really founding MapGuard Consulting, I've been able to share, you know, my background and my passion, why I do what I do. And, you know, I have a background in environmental science and forestry. And those uh, sectors, I never really considered myself, you know, a traditional scientist or forester, JS or a really educator in, you know, more of the more stereotypical ways. But I really fell in love with GIS and what it could do. And it gave me a way of understanding the world around me in um, a really unique and new way. So um, I've really been able to tell my story, you know, being a Black woman in forestry and environmental science, as well as GIS, which are very, um, in a lot of ways, very traditional fields. And, you know, as you probably know, they're predominantly white and male. Um, So really trying to enter and succeed in the field and this sector, uh, I experienced a lot of barriers. And that is really something that I hope my story can help to change for the next generation, other Black women and people of color who are interested in GIS or even forestry and really sharing their stories and the work that they do. So I've been able to really share my own story um, and through consulting and working with the wide range of different types of clients that I've had, I've really been able to help share uh, community stories, which I think are really important, especially when it comes to environmental education and climate education. Now, you are based in the Bay Area of Northern California. Have the community stories you've been able to help people tell, are they primarily from that region or from other areas as well? 
Yeah, so I am based in the Bay Area, though I feel like my network kind of expands across the U.S. Um, I've had a few contracts in the Bay Area or California specifically, but I really try not to limit limit myself to any one geography and, you know, someone who is so geographically, geographically focused. I think something that I really learned is that you know, our stories are not limited or held to a certain geographical boundary. Um, So I really try to hold that true in who I work with and where I work as well. What stories could be told but aren't being told uh, in your work doing working with groups and in forestry and with with others in the GIS field? What is missing? What do you hope to bring to the conversation? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I really hope to bring the stories of uh, the Black identity to the forefront. You know, being a Black woman in the sectors that I was in, especially in the academic, uh, in academic spaces, I uh, rarely saw representation that looked like me, people that looked like me doing the things that I wanted to do. Um, And, you know, I think that is really misleading to so many people who are interested in the sciences because Black people have been here. People of color have been here. They've been contributing to these fields. They've been succeeding in these fields. But that's not who you learn about in college. That's not who you learn about in school. So what I was really trying to find my place and uh, really connect that to who I was. I had to do all of that research and all of that learning outside of my classes. Um, So I really didn't get that representation where I felt like it needed to be. So I never learned about all of the Black women in forestry, lots of the Black women in the sciences. So I really want to be successful in the work in the fields that I'm in so that I can start to change the narrative of what someone who does GIS looks like or what someone who does environmental education looks like or what someone who is a forester looks like. Because I think that uh, really the traditional narrative that is being perpetuated is very limiting and I think it's really harmful and really oppressive. Um, So I really hope that me doing the work that I do with the identity that I have and really trying to uplift other stories and identities that I can relate to and really just any BIPOC individual being able to relate their identity to the maps and the data that is out there that is impacting um, decisions uh, at so many levels. I think that those are the stories that really need to be uplifted and told and become the dominant narrative. I've read that you also give conference presentations and you are involved in other, um, starting all sorts of conversations. What have you learned through the different conversations that you've had in those types of settings? What stood out to you or what has been standing out to you as you lead these conversations? Yeah, I think what stands out to me is that, one, it feels like maybe there's some sort of stagnation in where we are 
I feel like in so many conferences, I think more specifically ones that, you know, are um, facilitated by predominantly white or more traditional organizations or companies, you know, there is kind of the same narrative, you know, there's that general push for DI or JEDI or whatever other acronym you want to use. But I think it really comes down to really making change at a deeper, more systemic level. And, you know, in a lot of these spaces, I hear like other Black women saying the same thing, like there needs to be representation, there needs to be acknowledgement, we need to center the Black identity. And, you know, I hear other people agreeing with that, but I don't necessarily hear the action that others are willing to take to actually create that more systemic change. Um, And I think that was really one of the reasons that kind of drew me towards the Sea Change Fellowship. Um, And through that fellowship, uh, I get to partner with um, another organization. And I partnered with um, North Star of GIS, whose mission is to advance intersectional racial justice, equity, and belonging in GIS, geography, and STEM. So, you know, their mission really resonated with my own personal and business mission. Um, And together, we are working to develop GIS curriculum and training materials specifically for and Black people and the Black African diaspora to really change the narrative on how Black people and communities are portrayed in the context of climate change. Um, So they actually had uh, their first in-person GIS homecoming conference at Howard University last November. And I feel like that was really one of the first spaces I feel like I've been in in a professional setting where the conversation wasn't really directed at all of the people of color asking, what is it that needs to change? Like, tell us, give us, you know, that checklist that we can go through to make these changes. This conference was really an amalgamation of Black people in the GIS sector whatever that looked like to them, really coming together and sharing their experience and their identity and really creating that community within GIS that I think has really been missing in so many ways. So it was definitely a shift from what I think a lot of us are like so used to, um, a shift from being like kind of expected to fix things to actually kind of uh, reimagining these fields and these sectors in a different way. I know you're at, well, you're about, what, this is half, the halfway point through your fellowship. I think it started in June is what I read. Right? I, and I looked at all of the other fellows in this cohort, and there's a lot of good work happening out there. Can you explain a little more about what it is that you're doing or what you're, uh, what you're leading or what products or, you know, what are the outcomes that you are working on? What's it going to look like when you're done? What does done look like is the, is the question, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think what's great about the fellowship is that there's a lot of flexibility in what you do and what that kind of final done product looks like. And I think for a lot of people, there isn't really like one product of kind of just like a continuation of efforts throughout time. And that's kind of, um, I think what we really want to do. And, you know, I think we will have like this product of 
this curriculum and training materials made for and by Black people. But I think that can really start to create this snowball effect that creates other changes within the GI sector, within academia, within nonprofits and other businesses to really shift the way that they use data and really tell a story with it. Um, So, yeah, we are about halfway through the fellowship. A lot of feelings coming up with that. I feel like that goes by so quickly, but it's been really great. And yeah, I think at least by the end of this year, uh, we'll have some version of the curriculum that we can start implementing with Black students. The students who get to use your curriculum, how will they learn about uh, mapping GIS place and and data in ge- in general terms. I know it's all still in development, but in general terms, how will they learn about all these things? Yeah. So actually at the GIS homecoming, I gave an initial kind of intro workshop that I think kind of reflects how we want this curriculum to um, look like. And, you know, I really tried to focus on reimagining GIS and maps that are made using GIS can look like. Um, so I talked about a little bit of the history of GIS and the software and just the system and kind of reviewing kind of like the dominant dominant narrative and then really pushing people to kind of shift that mindset to be like, okay, when we look at this map, what is the intention? or the story that we're being told from the perspective of the person who made it versus what is the story or perspective that we see with our identity and how does that differ? Um, And then how can we kind of take that and create maps that are actually accurate to, you know, a Black person's identity? And really thinking about a lot of the historic processes that have really, I guess, manipulated the way that maps are used today. Um, so I know an example that is really commonly used is redlining and the history of redlining and the impact that has on a lot of urban spaces today, especially in terms of tree cover and green spaces and income, health, public health, and you know everything, <laughs> pretty much everything. So I think that's a really good example of just seeing the historic racism, how historic racism has really impacted a space and the people who live there and how those spaces are kind of manipulated in a way to kind of tell the story differently. Has anyone shared a story with you that you've been surprised by, more surprised than other stories? Um, I think one of the most shocking things that I've learned about maps and kind of the power they have to tell a story is when I started doing some research on what are what are called projections. Um, and that's essentially a way to take, you know, the earth, which is a 3D object and the shapes on the earth and project that onto a 2D surface. And I think a really fun way to kind of like just understand how complicated it is is if you take like a small beach ball from like the Dollar Tree and you draw all the continents on that 
and I take a pair of scissors and start cutting it up and try to lay it flat (laughs) and see how well your shapes maintain their shape. Um, I think you'll learn that it's really hard to really take that 3D physical object and make it flat. And there's, you know, there's so many projections and methods and all this other complicated stuff that is out there. But uh, I think it's really interesting. It was really shocking when I learned this, that the most commonly used projection really misrepresents the size of countries. And I think, you know, kind of doing the exercise, it kind of makes sense that, you know, you can't maintain the shape as well as you want to. But, you know, this projection was uh, developed by someone way back when who, you know, came from uh, colonizing the Western world and all that other stuff. And, you know, when you look at the size of Western countries in North America and Europe compared to their actual area size, they are projected to be a lot larger than other countries and even continents like Africa. So when you look at this projection, You'll see North America is really large. You'll see Canada is really large, Greenland, um, and some countries in Europe. But then all the other countries are kind of shrunken um, and aren't necessarily representative of what they actually look like. And I think when I saw that, uh, I was really shocked because this is the projection that is used in current day maps to tell stories of race, stories um, of identity um, and all these other things. And we're still projecting these Western countries to be larger than they are. And, you know, that was originally done to reflect how the white colonizers saw the countries that they were dominating versus the countries and continents where black and brown people were from. So I think that's just always, you know, something I'm going to keep with me and everything I do. And it's just so ingrained into maps and JS and the things we do. So I wanted, I wanted to share that. Thank you for sharing that. Is there an alternative projection, an alternative way of presenting the continents and presenting you know, the, the globe? So there are, there are different projections. So this one that I'm talking about, um, I can't remember the name exactly, but it's uh, the Mercator projection, I believe it's called. Um, And there are some other ones that uh, something equal area that, you know, really takes the shape of the countries and adjusts it based on the actual area. But it really, you know, is just a representation, right? Like GIS is this virtual representation of the world. And I think that we also need to keep that in mind that there's only so much that we can tell using maps, especially maps on their own. And it's so important to have that fuller story, the other media, text, um, that other context to really tell the story in an accurate way. Do you teach cartography in person or online? So I used to do um, a lot more general um, like training workshops or teaching workshops, um, especially in grad school. And um, that's really not something I have done quite as often, just like um, as a consultant, because I think my time has really been taken up by more individual projects. But 
that is something I've considered. And I think, you know, what's uh, North Star of JS and I have really fleshed out these training materials, then I think, you know, sometime in the future, it would be great to make those more publicly available um, just because accessibility just plays such a huge role in, you know, being able to tell a story. Absolutely. Now, I ask because, you know, I've had a thing for maps since I was a kid. And what started it was a family trip to the Huntington Library. And in one of the old galleries was this very old map with sea monsters on it. And I thought the sea monsters were the neatest thing. And I've never seen sea monsters on a globe. And that has stayed with me, you know, till now. And, you know, many, many years later, I took a cartography class. It was an elective in college, it was respite between OCHEM and physics, and I just I just loved drawing maps by hand. This was 1988, okay? And while we were learning to make, draw topo map, topographic maps by hand, you know, the instructor was saying, oh, you know, there are computers who do that, that do this now. <laughs> but but uh, it was really, um, it was wonderful to draw all that by hand, to learn how to do that. And so I was wondering... You know, what does cartography instruction look like today? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I love hearing other people's passion for maps. So I really love that. Uh, it's been part of your experience. And I think it's kind of funny in uh, college when I was first learning about JS, you know, most of my professors were like, back in my day, we used to do this by hand. <laughs> so uh, I could definitely say, now in 2024, the majority of it is digital. Um, there, I think, um, from my experience, a lot, uh, if you are kind of using older data or older maps, like historical maps and digitizing that, um, I think there's more of like a manual component. Uh, but I think, you know, in really the academic realm, everything is digital, but I think that can also be really limiting because it kind of assumes that that is the one way to be able to make a map or tell a story. Um, and one way that uh, I have taught cartography or maps to um, actually a younger age, I would say maybe it was like pre-K through high school, is having them draw out their own maps and kind of understanding the different parts of the map. Um, for more of the more like technical things like a compass and a scale um, legend to kind of what the important more like storytelling components are in your map. And, you know, I think that's really fun because that's where people's imaginations start to really show. And, you know, you can be as creative as you want. And, you know, people are drawing maps or the kids were drawing maps of space and putting their houses on planet Earth. And really, you know, telling the story of what they see in their own way, you know, kind of as they're developing in different stages, but kind of how they see the world around them. And I just think that's just so fun and so beautiful. So uh, I think something else I will add is I think that, you know, having so much map making cartography on a computer is also limiting to a lot of the way that stories are told in different cultures and different backgrounds, especially when, you know, a lot of the storytelling is verbal or if it is, you know, written or drawn out, then 
you know, it's not always so black and white in translating that to a virtual map. Um, so I think really, it's really important to really combine the different types of media and storytelling, tell the entire story in its entirety. <laughs> okay, we've been using the GIS acronym. And it dawned on me that listeners might not know what GIS stands for. So could you provide um, a little background about what that acronym means? Yes. GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems, so GIS. And I think I find it hard to really give one definition to what GIS is. I feel like it encompasses both the software, the platform, the data, the processes, the models, etc. So I feel like GIS is kind of this umbrella term to define almost the sector, but essentially using GIS um, or putting it to use is kind of the virtual interpretation of the world. So you might be, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with a lot of the applications of GIS. So one really popular one is Google Maps. Um, so it's, you know, when you look at maps, you see the lines for the roads or you see squares for buildings and different shapes for natural features. And um, I think that's a really good example of what GIS is. And then I think taking it one step further is really being able to take all these different categories or groups of things or objects within the landscape and understanding different processes between them. For example, for my master's research, I won't go into the details because for a lot of sciences, it's really complicated. <laughs> but essentially, I was looking at different patterns in how different vegetation greens up during the year versus green down. So green up, you know, when the leaves start to turn green and, the, uh, you know, it starts to like really grow and flourish at the beginning of like a rainy season versus greening down when all the leaves start to dry out and die and fall off. And, um, you know, really trying to understand how and why vegetation, even if there are different types of vegetation, you know, it could be grassy or forests or shrubs or something in between. Really understanding how those different groupings green up together versus separately. Um, so uh, I think GIS really encompasses you know the application, the data, and how you use it. What story would you like to tell uh, next? If you could pick any type of story and tell. A climate, say a climate change story that you feel would really spark a good conversation, uh, some important conversation that needs to be had, what might that story look like? I think that's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to pick just one because I feel like there are so many untold stories related to climate change. I think the story I would want to tell goes back to my community action project through the fellowship. And then, so the theme for this year is climate change. And, you know, I know you asked me about climate change. And uh, I think in a lot of contexts, climate change, at least in the U.S., I guess I can really only speak for the U.S., but it's really taught from the perspective of, you know, Western society. Um, and I feel like 
with that, you know, a lot of, I guess, the ownership or even to some extent, the blame of a lot of the issues that, you know, we learn about is on these developing countries, whereas, you know, a lot of the larger, you know, historic companies that have been around for so long are really the ones that have, you know, been polluting the most and still continue to pollute the most and um, really don't prioritize recycling or using stainless materials or uh, ethical sourcing. Um, so I think if we can really start to change the narrative around climate change, what it is and the impact that it has, especially on people of color outside of the U.S., then we can start to really change the narrative around how we address impacts of climate change. Because I think, you know, it's really easy to kind of put a lot of that ownership on consumers, especially in the Western world, and then, you know, like recycle, turn off your lights, turn your water off when you're washing your hands or brushing your teeth. Um, but just imagine the impact that you can have on all these different systems if, you know, I don't want to like name names, I don't want to come after me, but all these large companies started doing that themselves, right? And we're not then enforcing all of these standards and rules on other cultures and other countries' backgrounds, ways of life that, uh, you know, aren't necessarily like westernized, but are expected to still conform to these Western standards. What type of graphic visualization would send this type of signal that you want to send? What type of graphical element would you put on your map that would really bring your message home? Oh, wow. That is a tough question. Um, I feel like my instinct would be to create an infographic just because it combines so many different types of visuals and really helps like convey information like different ways. So I think having a map, you know, kind of visualizing where this impact historically has come from versus where we're taught that impact is coming from and then having supporting materials, you know, stories, images, um, graphics could really help to strengthen that. But I don't know. I think you just gave me an idea of something to work on in my free time. Because I always tell people that I love doing GIS for fun. <laughs> now I'm adding that to my list of things to do. <laughs> okay. So you have started your own company. You are working with organizations and with individuals to tell the story of place and communities and of people. And you have the your fantastic fellowship work going on. And this is your second fellowship. I saw, I've read there was an EGA fellowship as well that you did. Yeah. So in grad school, I, I did EGA's Environmental Fellows Program where they partnered different uh, students of color who were in grad school um, with different either environmental conservation or philanthropic organizations. Um, and that really gave us the perspective that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise of, you know, how the nonprofit world and philanthropic world works and 
really just how to like navigate those spaces. Um, so yeah, that was the first fellowship that I did. NGA stands for Environmental Grant Makers Association. And so you have, you started a business, you're working with communities, you have two fellowships, two big projects with fellowships. Behind you, you, you teach, you give presentations, and you are an environmental leader. And what's next for you? That's a good question. Um, I feel like I really embraced going where the wind blows me. Like I mentioned before, I never saw consulting in my future. And I kind of expected that, you know, after getting a graduate degree, I would work my way up an organization or nonprofit and just like be there the rest of my life. But I think, you know, with a lot of the unexpected changes that have really uprooted my mindset, um, I'm honestly looking forward to seeing what is next and I definitely want to continue consulting and, you know, working through mapper consulting, like, you know, that's such a huge part of my identity and who I am. And I just love the work that I'm able to do through that. So that will always be a part of me and what I do. Also, I find it really hard to really say that I am like this. I'm X, Y, or Z, but I definitely see myself staying in kind of this realm, anything with the environment and really communicating and sharing my knowledge and making it accessible. So, I'm excited to see you continue in your own work because as you spoke, I was having all sorts of ideas pop into my head about curriculum programs. I mean, all these wonderful things that uh, you could, um, you know, that I, I personally would love to learn from from you, you know, like cartography in the 21st century instead of cartography from the 1900s when I when I had it. Um, I, I just think that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, technology makes so much possible uh, these days. How can people learn about you and MapNerd Consulting? And how can they engage with, with you? You can find me on my website, mapnerdconsulting.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. If you go to my profile or look for the MapNerd business page, but I have more information about the types of services that I offer and definitely feel free to reach out to me on the contact page or email me directly because I would love to talk to anyone who's interested in mapping their story. And I think also if just anyone has any funding opportunities, uh, I definitely learned that funding is really important. And um, if you do have any, you know, things that come up or across your email, then feel free to send them my way because there are so many things that I want to say yes to and want to be able to do, you know, kind of like if you're mentioning like a curriculum for the Bay Area, which I think would be such a great idea. Um, but I think also just finding something to fund that is, you know, the next step um, after coming up with the idea. So uh, anything that you have to share out would be great. But yeah, I would love to connect with anyone, even if you just want to talk about maps um, or talk about cartography or storytelling or anything, then I'm here for you. Yeah. So in addition to your mapping services, you also have, as you mentioned, storytelling services. You provide uh, help uh, with that and then also marketing services and so it is 
the whole package. <laughs> yes, I definitely try to take people through uh, the entire spectrum from the data to the maps to communicating it, um, you know, which also includes like the marketing aspect. So once you are able to communicate it, really getting it out to your audience and other people in accessible ways is really important. So wonderful that is and you know each project is different you know where the data comes from where yeah so no two days are the same at map nerd consulting exactly <laughs> and that's wonderful that just lights up my brain i'm sure that must be very good challenging a fresh challenge for you all the time as well oh yeah, yeah. i love it <laughs> i love doing something new and slightly different To learn more about Gloria and Map Nerd Consulting, visit the links in the show notes. Here you will find links to Map Nerd Consulting, Gloria's work with the fellowship program, as well as information about the Mercator projection. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time.